0: national uh, political conventions, and they're the ones that actually vote on the major party nominations for president. And so you have uh, a lot of you know Trump delegates that are on the Republican ballot. Uh, and if uh, voters vote for those delegates uh, and they go to the convention, there's nothing stopping them from voting for, for, for former President Trump, regardless of what happens to his actual spot on the ballot so uh you know it it is kind of uh i guess it's about appearances in, in in a sense because even if the former president gets disqualified is not technically on the ballot uh his delegates will be and when they go to milwaukee this summer to vote they will be free to vote for president trump and they will
1: all right final question what are you going to be watching for from here in this case
0: Honestly, I'm going to be watching for the Supreme Court because this is going to go to the appellate court in Illinois and perhaps it could go to the Supreme Court after that. But uh, I think there's a a general sense that the Supreme Court is going to rule pretty quick on this uh, in the Colorado case. And that will provide some clarity for the situation here in Illinois and also in in Maine, where the secretary of state in that state uh, also disqualified Trump from the ballot. So. Uh it's kind of a race to see which uh, which uh, court system, uh, uh, you know, uh, is rules first. But um, but my my guess is that uh, uh, voters will be able to cast their ballot for president, former President Trump uh, uh, in a few weeks. Um, he'll be on the ballot regardless because they can't reprint ballots this late. But uh, my guess is that it'll count because there will either still be the stay or uh, the Supreme Court will provide some clarity and, and and you know, re- resolve this case for everybody once and for all.
1: All right. Brennan Moore covers Illinois government and politics for Lee Enterprises. Thanks for uh, sharing your reporting with us today on The 21st Show.
0: Thanks for having me on, Brian.
1: And listeners, if you are interested, January 22nd is when I had that conversation with Vikram Amar, professor at the U of I College of Law, where we took a deep dive into the 14th Amendment and this case and uh, or this sort of legal argument if you want to check that out on our website 21stshow.org and let me remind you this is the 21st show a lot has been happening in the national political scene with us to talk about that as always is Linda Kenyon who covers the Congress for Illinois Public Media Linda happy Friday welcome back to the program and Linda are you muted or are you with us
2: I am here. All right,
1: so, <laughs> that's all right. Uh, let's let's dive right into it then, because this week a lot of the national attention has been focused still on in vitro fertilization (IVF). Uh, one of our Illinois senators, Tammy Duckworth, has had a big role in the congressional response to this. She introduced legislation. Uh, she says would have ensured access to IVF in every state. This is, of course, after that Alabama Supreme Court ruling, effectively that embryos are children, uh, which put a stop to IVF treatments there. Can you just talk briefly about why this is a personal issue for Duckworth?
2: Yes, Senator Senator Tammy Duckworth is, uh, as you all know, a uh, former military vet. Well, she is a current military veteran. She she formerly served uh, in the military. She was seriously wounded while fighting for the United States uh, she is an amputee. She um, has uh, limited use of one one arm, um, and uh, she is in a wheelchair. She has uh, two prosthetic legs, and uh, she uh, has never let that slow her down. She did say, however, that when she was introducing this bill regarding IVF, that the fact that she had fertility issues – Uh, Was and she had a a miscarriage, was more painful to her than any wound she suffered on the battlefield. And she used IVF treatments, and she has two daughters. And she felt that the Alabama Supreme Court ruling was further evidence about, as she said, um, that first the red states uh, are taking away IVF, uh, with following Alabama's lead. She says, and then they're going to come for other things, such as birth control or, or any of those uh, other uh, hot-button issues. And she said that, uh, that there is no reason why there should be a ban on IVF treatments. Now, why would there be a ban? Well, the Alabama Supreme Court ruling stated that frozen embryos are children under the law. Therefore, some of the IVF procedures that are necessary uh, to help families get pregnant is that would require, in some cases, uh, selective elimination of certain embryos. And sometimes, because these frozen embryos are so delicate, During the thawing out process, they can sometimes be damaged and therefore rendered uh, no longer able to be used in an IVF procedure. But if frozen embryos are dedicated or designed or I should say uh, labeled as children, then uh, the uh, fertility clinics, the doctors and all the staff that participate in this process could then be held Uh, Accountable civil and criminal charges uh, for destroying children. So Duckworth was trying to head that off and trying to have a federal uh, law allowing access to IVF treatments. Yeah. And
1: and I say this. So she introduces this law. It she tries to get it fast tracked through the Senate, through this process called unanimous consent. We don't have to get into the weeds on that. But a Republican mm -hmm. senator, Cindy Hyde Smith of Mississippi, blocks it. And yet you do hear Republicans who seem to be worried and acknowledging that this is not politically great for them with the mass public in America. Where does this leave things for this potential federal legislation here?
2: Well, the uh, Mississippi senator, Cindy Hyde-Smith, who blocked uh, Senator Duckworth's bill, um, she uh, said that there were too many poison pills in the bill. She said it would legalize human cloning. It would legalize commercial surrogacy, including for young girls without any parental involvement. She said it would legalize gene editing, designing babies, designer babies, And uh, she said it would lift a federal ban on the creation of what she called three parent embryos, to which Duckworth said that was a total misinterpretation of the bill, saying it doesn't force anyone to seek reproductive technology. It doesn't force anyone to offer it. It doesn't force anyone to cover it. It simply says you have a statutory right if you choose to pursue assisted reproductive technology. And so the bill is dead. And the uh, next situation is I think we're going to have to see what the courts do, because in Alabama, despite that Supreme Court ruling, the state legislature just took up the uh, process of uh, carving out an IVF exception uh, to the Alabama Supreme Court ruling. Now, that may, again, lead to some legislative challenges, some legal challenges. Other states may follow as well, but Republicans who say they are very much pro-life are in a very tough spot with this situation uh, because uh, it's very hard to sort of square that circle about uh, IVF treatments.
1: Yeah. Hmm. Well, that is something we will continue to follow as it plays out. Just about a minute left. I do want to mention another sort of momentous piece of political news this week, and that is uh, Senator Mitch McConnell, the Republican leader. He's led it for uh, the Republicans there for 17 years. He's announcing he's stepping down from that role effective in January. There'll be a vote on his successor in November. Uh, Can you just briefly, briefly say, how does he reckon with the fact that really his entire approach to politics seems increasingly out of step and unwelcome in the Republican Party?
2: Yeah, McConnell is going through a bit of a transition personally and professionally. Uh, He stated uh, when he announced that he's going to leave his leadership role, he said you cannot beat father time. He's 82 years old. Uh, and he has had some health issues, but he's also had a lot of political pushback, especially from the most conservative wing of the Republican Party that they uh, he refers to as the MAGA Republicans. And uh, they have been very angry with him on uh, various occasions, not the least of which is that he has said things against Donald Trump in the past. So they are now hoping that there'll be somebody to replace him. And right now it looks like the three Johns are running for his uh his seat, John Thune of South Dakota, John Cornyn of Texas, and John Barrasso of Wyoming are all the three top uh, possibilities running for his seat. John Cornyn has already said his interest.
1: All right. Well, we will have to follow up on that another week. Linda Kenyon, good to talk with you as always, briefly though it may be. Thanks for being with us today on the 21st show.
2: You're welcome.
1: More to come after a short break. Please stay with us. Recently on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, Hari Kondabolu offered everyone a way to make a little extra cash.
0: I'd pay $6 a finger.
1: <laughs> I'm Peter Sagal. You would need not sacrifice any extremities to enjoy this week's show from Austin, Texas with rapper Danny Brown. Join us for a show with all of its fingers and toes. That's Wait, Wait from NPR. Listen tomorrow morning at 10, Sunday at noon on 89.1 WGLT.
3: The doctors at Bloomington Normal Audiology are passionate about promoting hearing awareness and education. We are trying to reach everyone with ears. That's why they're the lead sponsor of WGLT's daily news magazine, Sound Ideas. We appreciate Sound Ideas for its
4: commitment to local conversations and topics. Plus, the connection with the word sound is a fun bonus. I'm Dr. Natalie McKee, owner of Bloomington Normal Audiology, a
3: WGLT underwriter. Learn how you can become an underwriter at WGLT.org.
1: Support for WGLT comes from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting's Community Service Grant and from a grant from the Illinois Arts Council Agency. These grants help fund Morning Edition, All Things Considered, and other programming on which you depend for news, information, and entertainment. Additional support comes from WGLT users. This is 891 WGLT and WGLT.org. This is The 21st Show. I'm Brian Mackey. We were hoping to bring you for our final segment today, uh, a conversation on this trend of pole fitness, a new sort of or new-ish sort of exercise uh, trend. But uh, we are going to postpone that uh, on account of a last minute cancellation of our guests there. So instead, we're going to revisit a conversation about people trying to get outdoors. This is something that happened a lot during the early days of the COVID-19 pandemic, people picking up new outdoor Hobbies like running, cycling, and hiking. Some of us are looking to take those outdoor hobbies to the next level, though. For example, big crowds at the national parks. But you don't have to travel across the continent to find great outdoor adventures. And you don't have to be Edmund Hillary or Emily Harrington. In July of 2022, Erica Zazo joined us to talk about how to ramp up your excursions from booking to gear. She's a freelance travel writer based here in Illinois. You can read her work in Backpacker Magazine, The Outbound Collective, and elsewhere. She also organizes Mappy Hour meetups in Chicago. Because this conversation's on tape, we're not taking calls live, but you can let us know what you think anytime, day or night, on our voicemail line, 217-300-2121. All right. Here now is our conversation with Erica Zazo. Erica, welcome back to the 21st show. Thanks for coming on.
4: Hey, Brian. Really great to be here.
1: Erica, a lot of people took up these new outdoor hobbies, but but I think they were largely solitary activities, at least uh, if you were following the pandemic guidelines or maybe in your small COVID groups. How would someone go about finding a bigger community that might be welcoming to still more newbie outdoors people?
4: Yeah, I mean, we don't always advise hitting the trail alone, especially if it's your first time. So finding an outdoor community to link up with and hit the trail or a biking trail or go climbing with is really recommended. And I think there are so many resources out there for locals in Illinois to find groups of folks to meet and make new friends and get outside and learn from each other. So Some of the places I like to go um, is Facebook has an array of Facebook groups dedicated to exploring the outdoors in Illinois. Things like the Southern Illinois Hiking and Outdoor Recreation Group, the Central Illinois Hiking Group, and a group called Women Who Hike Illinois that organize meetups at different forest preserves and state forests around the state. Um, So that's a great place to start. Uh, There's also a lot of trail groups connected with national forests, like the Shawnee National Forest, so places like The River to Rail River Trail Society and the Shawnee Saunters Group. And then also Sierra Club has an Illinois chapter that organizes hikes around the state. So those are some great places to start.
1: Yeah, that's a great suggestion. I'm in a a very small Facebook group for a, a state Fish and Wildlife area that's near where I live called St. Chris Lake. Uh, So, yeah, there's there's a lot of good communication on there. So let's talk about that. So I think when people think about hiking and getting outside in uh, Illinois, Starve Rock is the first place that comes to a lot of people's minds. But but there are many other places to go hiking, especially in the central and southern part of the state. So what what are some of your recommendations there?
4: Yeah, totally. There's so many places to go. A few favorites that uh, stick out in my head are the Middle Fork Forest Preserve. It's just northeast of Champaign. It's a three and a half mile trail called the Oak Trail, and that links up with the South Loop Trail. Um, Here, there are, like, grassy meadows and oak forests that you can hike through. Really recommend it. And it's also a designated International Dark Sky Park, which is pretty fascinating. This is located in the middle of Illinois, and that's one of 70 different international dark sky parks you can visit. So heading there at night for an evening hike and then sticking around for some sky gazing um, would be a great choice. Oh,
1: that's great, Uh, because you can actually see, like, the Milky Way sometimes if it's really dark. Yeah, definitely. Cool, yeah.
4: I'd also um, recommend the Midowin National Tra- Tallgrass Prairie, which is south of Joliet. This is a buffalo viewing trail, um, and you can actually see over, you know, 30 or so buffalo grazing in, in herds out there. Um, it's a three and a half mile loop. I definitely recommend this one bring a lot of sunscreen and skin protection because it's an open, natural Illinois prairie, but a really cool, unique experience to see some buffalo and, and bison up close.
1: Yeah, that's by the old Armory site, right? The old Joliet Armory, I think. Um, yeah, fascinating. definitely. Fascinating that we have Buffalo here in, in Illinois. A couple of spots, actually. You know, th- there are also places within Easy Drives, and I did want to ask you, because you had a piece in Backpacker Magazine this year, about the Ozark Trail. And I have to admit, I have obviously I've heard of the Appalachian Trail. I've heard of the Pacific Crest Trail. I had not heard of the Ozark Trail. So well, tell us about that.
4: Yeah, this is a 230 mile long trail um, in Arkansas um, near Arkansas, and it, it really is beautiful because there's dolomite glades and plunge pools and hidden caves, kind of in the rocky cliffside of this of this beautiful um, you know river area um, that runs through. Um, this part of the region, and it's great for backpacking and day hiking along this trail. And so, I would definitely recommend kind of doing your research ahead of time because it is so long. You need to find different trailheads along the trail to jump onto, but from waterfalls during the rainy season um, at the beginning of the year. Um, or even just, you know, floating down the river, um, the Buffalo National River and different places in this region. Um, the Ozarks have so much to offer when it comes to hiking, whether it's a long through hike or just a day hike. So um, the Ozark, it's definitely a hidden gem um, I was gonna ask in how Arkansas, many... Missouri.
1: Oh, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I was going to ask how many people through hike it, right? Because, I mean, we've been reading about crowding on the Appalachian Trail, the Pacific Crest Trail. Is this do, do a lot of people do this one from uh, end to end?
4: Yeah, I mean, it's definitely becoming more popular. Um, I think that starting um, at a middle point of the trail and maybe doing a portion of it, you might have less foot traffic. Um, Folks like to start kind of going end-to-end and challenging themselves, but maybe picking a middle section of the trail and doing a shorter weekender is a great way to maybe avoid some of that foot traffic um, on either end of the trail.
1: Okay, so let's say people who are listening, they, they have, you know, they've gone hiking in their local parks and they really want to kind of take things to the next level. They want to like book a big outdoor travel experience. What suggestions do you have for people who are newer to this?
4: Yeah, it can, a lot can go into planning a backpacking trip, um, which is probably one of the most popular ways to get into long distance hiking. Distance hiking is backpacking. So I would definitely recommend if it's your first time, obviously doing your research online, but there's also a variety of uh, guiding organizations and um, outfitters in the the region. A couple I would recommend is True North Adventures, T-R-U-E North Adventures, and they're based in the Midwest. They organize camping and kayaking and backpacking trips, and they have a bunch of beginner weekend classes where you can go out and they teach you everything you need. I'd also recommend a group called Adventures Accessed. Um, they base they're based out of Chicago, but they organize trips in the Hoosier National Forest in Indiana, and also in Huron-Manistee, which is up in Michigan. Um, so that's a great place. And and the lastly. REI is uh, always my favorite place to recommend. They have not only all the gear you need to buy, um, but they also have their own experiences programming where you can um, travel literally across the country, but even here in the Midwest, um, booking a weekend for yourself to go out on an adventure with a certified guide through the REI guiding program. And REI experiences is, is an awesome place to start too if you're both buying new gear for your trip and then also trying to have a guide teach you the skills you need along the way.
1: I love that suggestion. I'm chuckling to myself when you said all the gear you need to buy, because there's plenty of gear you don't need to buy, but you probably (laughs) will anyway. Every time you visit REI, my family, I have family in the Seattle area and they've been members for decades uh, to the original stores. So are are there red flags to look out for though, when you are looking to book travel like this and in your looking for organizations to kind of guide your experience?
4: Yeah, I mean, it's hard to tell, you know, what the experience is going to be no matter if you're hitting the trail for a day hike or booking a long weekend with a guide. I think checking out their certifications, um, some organizations like Knowles, which is the National Outdoor Leadership School, has a bunch of training certifications. That's a great place to just kind of research what types of certifications guides need to get in order to really know their stuff. So educating yourself on the types of certifications out there and then looking for that when you're booking a guide is a great idea um, and then I wanted to mention um you know being a guide yourself and really knowing how to prepare yourself for hitting the trail because again you could rely on someone else to teach you but if you're meeting up with a hiking group and you don't know the folks necessarily it's good for you to yourself know these skills so the 10 essentials is a list of emergency items and first aid that you should be always bringing with you on the trail and that's things like navigations like a map and a compass um, sun protection like a sunscreen and a hat um, illumination like a flashlight for state kits, uh, repair kits. If, if you bringing, uh, you know, gear with you that needs to be, you know, t- t- duct tape back up, for example, and then finally, you know, nutrition and hydration, which is so simple to, you know, consider when you're bringing out, going out onto the trail, but having those, um, in surplus with you before your trail hike and then also when you're on the trail is, is so key. Um, so those are just a few of the 10 essentials uh, that I always want to recommend to people before they hit a trail with or without a guide.
1: I completely echo you on that. I'm a big Ten Essentials proponent. I've even had, like, a, a backpack that had a list of the Ten Essentials kind of silkscreened on the inside of it. Um, oh, cool. Sometimes my wife, though, will be like, why are you bringing those emergency blankets? Where are we? You think we're going on this day hike? But, you know, it, it's a good idea to always be prepared. Let me take a moment to remind listeners this is The 21st Show. We're speaking with Erica Zazo, travel writer. You've read her work in Backpacker magazine and other places about outdoor adventure especially if you were newer to outdoor adventure uh, this summer a lot of people are taking up this hobby after or during the pandemic during the stay-at-home phase of the pandemic and now they're looking to maybe take it to the next level Uh, so we were talking about the ten essentials what other advice do you have for people who are just beginning to sort of try and step up their game in terms of outdoor adventure
4: yeah you know Something comes to mind and that's uh, going back to the topic of hydration. um, Sometimes you're wondering, you know, how much is enough water when I'm taking water out on the trail? And then also, you know, when I'm hiking, how much should I be drinking? Um, It's definitely recommended that people bring about two liters on any local adventure they're going out on. That would be like two Nalgene bottles. Those, you know, cylindrical plastic bottles you can find at REI and and most outfitters. Um, It's it's recommended that you have at least one liter of water for every two hours of hiking. And so most people can do about two and a half miles or two miles per hour. So you're looking at about a half a liter per mile, which might seem like a lot for some folks, but really staying hydrated is super key. Um, Also recommend maybe thinking about Drinking something called liquid IV or electrolyte powders, you know, before you hit the trail, especially if it's hot this summer. Um, You can drink that before or after your hike just to replenish your body of the salts and electrolytes that you really need to feel good both on the hike and after. So I think dispelling some of those myths about how much water you need is is key if you're going to be hiking in the heat this year.
1: All right. Well, our time together is almost over, but for the next level traveler, I was really intrigued that you are taking, or maybe you've already taken, a bike trip across Lake Michigan this summer. How does one go about doing that?
4: Yeah, it's it's going to be quite the adventure. Um, for folks who are familiar with driving uh, south of the lake or uh, up, up into the UP, it can be quite the trek to get from Illinois to Michigan. So uh, my partner and I are actually taking a boat from um, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, over to Muskegon on the Lake Ferry Express. It is a, a ferry boat that we can actually bring our bike onto, but you could also drive your car or walk on. And we'll be taking our bike from Milwaukee all the way to Michigan and biking around the Muskegon area and then coming back. So it should be quite the adventure. And hopefully, I can come back and fill you guys in on on bike packing and what that's all about.
1: Yeah, that is a fascinating thing. So, final thoughts on uh, getting getting out there this summer. Um, you know, this is uh, 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 take take it where you will. I guess we have about thirty seconds left.
4: Yeah, you know, I just want to remind people to just always respect the trail, respect others on the trail, and our natural resources are so limited. And um, conservation of these places are super important. I'll I'll throw out that people could also bring their 11th essential, um, which is a trash bag, you know, a a simple plastic bag you get at the grocery store. Put that in your pack and pick up some trash on the trail and clip it to your bag and throw that away when you get to the trailhead again. Um, Keeping these places as pristine as possible for as many people in our future generations is so important as we get the trail, hit the trail more and more um, as a community.
1: Leave no trace, as they say, right? And uh, course, maybe, yeah. And maybe remove some other people's traces who are not as uh, conscientious as we are. Erica Zazo is a travel writer. You've read her work in Backpacker magazine, the Outbound Collective, and elsewhere. We'll have some links to her work on our website. Erica, thank you so much for being with us today on the 21st show.
4: Yeah, see you on the trail. <laughs>
1: And we originally aired that conversation again with travel writer Eric Zazo in July of 2022. That is it for us today. Coming up Monday, crime and perception. Government numbers show violent crime has been dropping significantly, but people still think crime is on the rise. We'll dig into the numbers and why they don't always move public opinion. The 21st Show is produced by Christine Hatfield and Jose Zapeda. Our digital producer is Damian Contreras. Technical direction and engineering comes from Jason Croft and Steve Moore. Reginald Hardwick is our news director. Thank you to the band Public Access for our theme music. You can visit our website, 21stshow.org, to find our past segments, share them with a friend if you heard something you liked, uh, or maybe share them with an enemy if it was something you didn't like. You can do all of that at 21stshow.org. The 21st Show is a production of Illinois Public Media. I'm Brian Mackey. Thanks for listening. We'll talk with you again on Monday. Well, I got bored, basically.
2: Ethan Cohen returns to theaters after a break without his brother, but still in the family.
3: We're very comfortable and understand the way each other thinks. That's
2: Tricia Cook. Look at her husband Ethan Cohen's drive-away dolls and all the latest news. Saturday and Weekend Edition from NPR
3: News. Listen tomorrow between 7 and 10 a.m. on 89.1 WGLT. Voters in 17 states and territories cast their ballots on Super Tuesday, the biggest primary day of the year. With more than a third of Republican delegates up for grabs, it may be Nikki Haley's last chance to challenge former President Donald Trump. I'm Mary Louise Kelly. Join Scott Jetro and me for live special coverage from NPR News. Election 2024. Get closer to the issues. Get closer to your vote.
0: Listen this Tuesday at 7 p.m. on 89.1 WGLT.
3: The NPR Newscast doesn't just break a story. We follow it wherever it takes us. Stay informed with the NPR Newscast every hour on the hour. Listen on 891 WGLT and WGLT.org. Part of the NPR Network. From the campus of Illinois State University. This is 891
1: WGLT Normal. Part
3: of the NPR
1: Network.
2: Funding for Here and Now comes from MathWorks, creators of MATLAB and Simulink Software, accelerating the pace of engineering and science. Learn more at mathworks.com. From NPR and WBUR Boston, I'm Tiziana Deering. I'm Vipa
4: Fernandez. It's Here and Now. Coming up after nearly two decades in leadership, Senator Mitch McConnell announces he's stepping down.
2: One of life's most underappreciated talents is to know when it's time to move on to life's next chapter. What his decision says about the state of the Republican Party. Also, a New York Times investigation shines light on kid influencers and the sometimes concerning role of their parents who try to monetize their kids' social media presence. They were offering interactions with the child that you could pay for. And a new docu-series about the one-time dominance of
3: Tom Brady and the NFL's New England Patriots.
2: The news is first.
3: Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Lakshmi Singh. Thousands of mourners turned out in Moscow today to pay respects to the late Russian opposition leader, Alexei Navalny. Navalny died two weeks ago under mysterious circumstances in a remote Arctic prison. Charles Maines has more from Moscow.
1: Despite a heavy police presence and fears of arrests, the funeral for Alexei Navalny went largely without incident. Thousands lined the streets around an Orthodox church not far from Navalny's home in Moscow to pay final respects to President Vladimir Putin's fiercest critic. While Navalny's parents attended funeral rites, the crowds waited outside, pinned behind police barricades, often chanting Navalny's name, and the political slogans that made him famous. Ahead of the service, Navalny's family accused the Kremlin of scuttling efforts to hold a public event out of fear it could turn into a protest. Yet an anti-government protest is what it resembled, even if supporters' defiance was mixed with grief. Charles Maines, NPR News, Moscow.
3: More warm, dry temperatures and strong winds are in the forecast across the Texas and Oklahoma panhandles, where wildfires have destroyed an untold number of homes and claimed at least two lives. NPR's Kirk Sigler reports the largest of these, the Smokehouse Fire, Is the biggest wildfire in Texas history. In
1: just a few days, the Smokehouse Fire has already burned well over a million acres. Range fires like this do explode fast and can cover huge amounts of ground in seconds, especially due to invasive grasses and extremely dry conditions. But this fire is already far bigger than some of California's historically biggest blazes, including the notorious Dixie Fire in 2021 and the Mendocino Complex of Fires the previous year. The largest recorded wildfire in modern U.S. history is believed to have been in 1910 in idaho and montana at three million acres in texas meanwhile authorities are warning of continued fire growth of at least four blazes through this weekend kirk sigler in pr news
3: in the face of the donald trump campaign juggernaut republican presidential hopeful nikki haley says her campaign raised 12 million dollars last month She continues to pour funds into campaigning ahead of Super Tuesday next week. And Pierre Sarah McCammon has more. Haley is in the midst of a multi-state campaign swing ahead of Super Tuesday on March 5th. The former South Carolina governor has yet to win a single nominating
4: contest. But Haley says she stayed in the primary race in part because large and small donors have urged her to. They don't ask me, what's your strategy? They don't ask me, what's your
2: plan? All they say is thank you for giving me hope. We've had
4: fundraisers in every place I've been. No one has said what y'all ask,
3: which is how long are you staying in? No one. So far. Sarah McCammon, NPR News, Washington. The Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 40 points at 39,037. You're listening to NPR News.